You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 133. For this edition of the podcast, I chatted with Mark Lefebvre, the owner of a new New York City indie label called Green Witch Recordings. The label has released a handful of great music in 2020 despite the pandemic, including the debut EP from Asbury Park's Teen Idol, an EP from Mark's solo project, Mothra Stewart, and two compilations. The label will also be releasing new music from Chill Russell, Lauren Lakus, and more in the coming months. During our interview, Mark and I chatted about his background playing music in his hometown of Austin, Texas, his philosophy in operating Greenwich Recordings, and what role he thinks labels will play in the future. Tune in after the jump to hear the whole interview. If you'd like to hear more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe. Also check out lookatmyrecords.com where you'll find reviews, premieres, interviews, playlists, and a whole lot more. Again, that's a Look at My Records website at lookatmyrecords.com. All right, I'm here with Mark of Green Witch Recordings. Welcome, Mark. How about to start, just tell, tell us a little bit about what brought you to New York City from your hometown of Austin? Back in Austin, you're involved in the music scene. You played in different projects, one being uh, the band Chill Russell. Uh, how'd you wind up here in New York? You know, so, so long story short, it was to go to law school. And I knew going into law school that I wanted to be involved in the music industry. I had been involved in the music industry, you know, obviously as part of Chill Russell and other bands and, and just going back to, you know, college and even before college, just always playing music. And, and, and something I saw, you know, first of all, it's hard to make a living as a musician. And that's probably not uh, not news to your, to your viewers. But it has become a little bit easier in the days of, you know, of, of digital streaming. So, so when I was, you know, starting out to, to be a musician it was like you get cds made at cd baby or something like that yeah. and you could you, you couldn't really afford to do vinyl because you have to do a ton of vinyl it's very expensive and everybody was downloading music they weren't streaming music and they weren't buying physical copies they were literally would just take the music for free uh, so you could make what you could make at a bar but or like touring and stuff like that but you couldn't really make a living i, I do think that streaming and spotify and stuff like that is bringing back the music industry uh, you know, it's still not great, but it's, I think it's at least democratizing it and making it a little bit easier for, you know, regular people to make a living doing music if their music is, is, is really good. That being said, so I, I you know, I, I, I kind of got, you know, a little bit beat down about, about uh, you know, trying to make a living as a musician. And it's like, okay, am I going to continue to do this into my 30s? Um, it's, it's really tough. Uh, so, uh, you know, I'd also been exposed to the business and, and seeing the contracts and seeing the performance stuff and the, and the, the, the festivals and, and obviously the streaming companies and the radio and television stuff. I was like, okay, there is an angle here to go and advocate for artists um, as an attorney and, and and basically, you know, make a living as well. Um, so that's sort of what brought me to New York. And then, you know, when I got here, uh, I still was making a little bit of music sort of remotely with, with the guys from Chill Russell, um, with Chase, uh, who's the lead singer and guitar player, uh, and Patrick, uh, who's the drummer. Also, uh, their bass player, Daniel, who actually came into the band after I left. We had a different bass player and he and I left. They've, they've all helped me out with my music. And, and then I've also been working with some other musicians like TJ Penzone of, uh, of these people, Curtis Rausch of the Bright Light Social Hour. Um, and so uh, all those guys sort of 
helped me keep my foot in the in the industry and, and, and continue to make music. And then, you know, just from that and from my experience with various jobs here in the city, uh, I realized that maybe starting an indie label would be a, a kind of a cool uh, thing to do as well. Yeah, totally. And I, de I definitely obviously want to get into uh, Green Witch Recordings, a great label with an already impressive roster. But growing up in Austin and playing music in Austin, wh what were your experiences expose exposure to the industry type of thing it sounded like maybe there were some positive experiences but also negative experiences that kind of shaped the idea for green witch recordings well so i will say this about austin texas austin texas has some of the best bands like hands down some of the best yeah totally and and like you know i was surrounded by really great talent um but you know unlike even nashville or or certainly la and new york city they don't really have the industry i think bmi just went there um and i know they've got like an apple campus and things like that but they don't really have like the publishers and the record labels they have very indie kind of stuff so so my exposure to the industry down there well first of all was okay if i really want to make a you know want to make a go at being part of the industry i've got to i've got to go to new york city or la was really the, the thought yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, they have the South by Southwest Festival. And so, you know, we had, you know, contracts with them and and, and so I went and were exposed to that. Um, obviously, they have great venues. If you've never been, it, they have just incredible venues, which right now are kind of suffering because of COVID. And, and uh, but, you know, they get this great place called Red River. Um, and then there's like East Sixth. And, and some, there's some really cool um you know, sort of like, you know, indie rock venues and stuff like that. So, so, you know, and then we also did like some TV stuff and some radio stuff and toured and that, that kind of thing. So all that sort of made me aware of the different components of the industry. And then of course you do your, your PRO stuff, like you're working with like an ASCAP or a BMI. Um, and then you work with like a, a distro kid or a level music or somebody like that to distribute your music. Um, but so all that sort of showed me the lay of the land. And then it was like, okay, I think I can, uh, I can, you know, make a go of it if I if I go to New York City. So when did you officially start Greenwich Recordings? It seems like kind of recently, but you already have 10 artists on the label. So I yeah, that's hard. It's not, there was no fuzzy like start date. Um, you Because know, I think you, you probably put out your own stuff right. and kind of, and now it seems like this year you're expanding a little more, right? Yeah, I, I actually started it. It was sort of like a, uh, it's kind of a love letter to a friend of mine who he uh, was played in bands with, with us and um, and he, uh, he's not dead or anything. He just, he, he, he had made these, these this music and we made this music with him and it was like, hey man, you got to put out your music. You got to put out these songs. You got to put out these songs. And, you know, for whatever reason, you know, he's, he's got kids and he's got a life. So, you know, I sort of started the label. It's like, well, I already put out my music and my, my buddies and children Russell already put out their music. I know they'll be down to start this thing with me. Let's do this for my buddy, Steve. Let's put out some of Steve's music. And so that's really when it was like, okay, well now I need a real label. So, so that's when we sort of started it. And then almost immediately after that, I thought about, well, there's a ton of really great artists. Let's start to bring some in for, for compilations, for a compilation cassette. Cause I thought cassettes were the way to go because they're affordable, kind of cool and, and so Sort of appeal to you know the hipster demographic the kind of people that listen to psych and, and indie and shoegaze and so you know I, I started that by reaching out to a bunch of bands i like and i got a lot of no's and i got a lot of yeses um and then so some of those bands went on to become what i would consider our real roster which are bands that were putting out their records we have um you know the contracts with them that sort of thing um, and then a lot of them just sort of we're like they're we're in a relationship, but it's more you know it's mutually beneficial. They give us really good songs to put on our compilation, and we plug their stuff. You know, we have a, a 
a tie together, but they aren't necessarily in a contractual relationship with us or anything like that. Um, so so our, our compilations are a, a bit of artists that are on our, our roster and it's really showcasing those artists and then artists that we think are really cool. And then we sort of, you know, cross pollinate their, their fan bases, um, you know, and that, that helps build the roster and the, the, the label, it helps build um, the, the artists that are on our roster and it helps, um, you know, sort of get new fans for the artists that just want to be on the compilation. That's cool. So it's almost like it's a different kind of label. You're expanding the family a little bit more beyond this is a band we're putting their record out type of thing. It's also someone that we want to maybe help, but not actually put their record out. What would you say inspired that type of philosophy for the label? Um, well, I think it's just being a fan of music. It's easy to, um, to, to help people out. And, and, and as an artist, it goes a long ways, you know, from if I reach out to a blog and I say, hey, man, check out my song. It's really cool. They're like, all right. You know, but if you have a, a record label reach out and they check out this guy's song, it's like it's, it's validation. It's somebody vouching for you. I just think it's a matter of just being fans of music. So because we're fans of music, we want to promote the bands we like. And then, you know, if they're really interested in having a relationship where we're going to invest, you know, time and money and, and, and resources, um, then we'll get into a more serious <laughs> contractual relationship. Um, and if if they just want to sort of be, you know, uh, use us as, as um, not use us, but, but be friends and, and, and work on a community with us, um, we're happy to do that too. That's cool. It's a really cool concept and you're absolutely right. I think advocating on behalf of an artist really helps a lot when doing those little things that you wouldn't even think of, like pitching your music to someone. It's kind of saying, hey, we believe in this person. So that's super important. That's cool that you're expanding the the web of Greenwich recordings to incorporate that. And we benefit from it too, right? It's, I mean, like, if there's a really cool band on our compilation, then their fans are now aware of us and people, and it sort of, you know, in a, in a way, you know, because we're a young label, it, it sort of legitimizes us. People are like, oh, hey, this really cool band did this compilation. And so, you know, let me check out the other bands on the compilation. Let me check out, let me follow Greenwich and see what they're up to. So, you know, it's really just about, about community. It's about, you know, building something that um, you know is meaningful and and isn't you know just purely based on on money or you know what can you do for me you know it's it's we we put bands that we we love we put out their music helping others that's the way to go totally agree <laughs> the compilations are awesome audio spells volume one came out in April right and volume two came out in June or May or May or early June right uh, yeah I think it was uh, I actually think it was a uh, that's a good question. I think it was a uh, July first okay. release date. Time, been time's sort of blurring. In. Time is yeah, blurring in the last COVID. few months. It's COVID. all June to yeah. May now. <laughs> <laughs> well, the other thing is that a lot of manufacturers are are sort of on hold too. So we had an, a date that we were going to put this thing out, but then you know the cassettes were unable to be released. So I think we pushed the date back and stuff like that. Yes. Um, yeah. So tell me, how do you go about soliciting? Uh, bands and artists for these compilations how do you decide what goes on the compilation is there a specific genre you're going for with each compilation or a unifying 
theme on each one? Uh, I think that <laughs> we are, um, this, this, our first compilation was 10 songs and our most recent compilation was 17 songs. And what happened is we, you know, with the first compilation, because nobody knew who we were, we were just reaching out to a few bands. And I was like, I'm going to cap it at 10. And, and, and so then that sort of built some momentum. And, you know, clearly it was just a few months later that we put out the second compilation and we'd sort of put out feelers like, hey, if you're interested and you think you're a fit, please submit music to us. Um, and we had some, we had a ton of bands submitting music to us. Um, and I go through some of them, uh, but I really got to take my hat off to uh, Chase Matkin, who, uh, you know, does our artist services and, and our A&R stuff. And he listens to all of the bands and he responds to every single band that, that, that reaches out to us. That um, is commendable. So, that is very yeah, hard I mean, to do, especially yeah. if you if you have a job and stuff. And there's so much good music out there that you want to listen to and respond, but it's hard. So props. That's well, awesome. And the other thing is sometimes a band just isn't a fit. And so, you know, I think he has, I think it's really, it goes a long ways as an artist myself reaching, you reach out to a lot of labels and it just, you don't know if it went through, you don't get really get a rejection. I mean, Sub Pop actually gives these really nasty yeah, rejection letters. <laughs> but but so um but so i i do think it goes a long way so at least know your music was heard and you know it's not that we hate you but maybe it's not a fit or you know and, and he gives you know constructive feedback and i think that, that you know it takes time and it takes effort and it's uh you know i think it goes a long ways totally so the compilations are excellent and you have a real core group of artists right now teen idol is one of them She's incredible. She's from Asbury Park, New Jersey, my home state. So pretty fond of that. And she has a great shoegaze sound as well. Lauren Lake is also kind of a great shoegaze sound as well. How'd you find those two great artists? Um, Teen Idol. Uh, yeah, I think I found Teen Idol through some sort of a Facebook group or something like that. And I heard one of her songs, a song that's on her, her new record called Dreaming. Um, and I just struck an emotional chord. It's just a beautiful, beautiful song. Um, and so I, you know, I reached out to her and I said, you know, we just want to include your song on the compilation, you know, and, uh, and then you just a really cool person. So we've had these, these great conversations and, um, and we've become quite good friends. And, uh, and so then it just, you know, turned into this relationship where it was like, Hey, well, let's put out, let's put out the real record. Um, and so, uh, yeah, she's, she's got some really, uh, she just has a way of, uh, I guess it's her lyricism or the way her chorus is hit. That's just like, ah, it gets you right in the Yeah, feels. very talented songwriter and even a ranger producer as well. Cause it, right. she's produced some of her own stuff. It seems like, so that's very cool. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think it's, uh, and, and I, I, you know, that's another part of the music industry. That's really cool to me. Not only are we going to democratize the label format with Greenwich recordings and so many other awesome indie labels, we've also democratized the, the recording process which is yeah there's still something to be said about going into an awesome studio with an awesome producer that certainly has its benefits but the fact that people can can record music for relatively little money and and, and put out you know songs that you probably never would have heard 20 years ago because they wouldn't have been able to you know whatever get into a studio i think that's a really cool part about what's going on in the music industry right now and how do you find lauren lakis because i'm also a huge fan of her her new song as well will be fine yeah um, so I, she's a Chase find. Chase is the guy who found her. And I, I don't know if he found her, if she found us, you know, when we talked on the phone the first time, you know, it was sort of like, you know, how did you guys connect? Cause, because they had sort of been talking back and forth, you know, mostly via email. And then we were going to have this, you know, like a, a zoom call sort of thing. And, and I think she said something about the hashtag shoegaze. I think she said, I was, I, I look at the hashtag shoegaze. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's a good thing to do. I do that as well. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it's so funny because because when you're posting on on social media, you know, we do use a lot of hashtags, and because it's it's just good to you know put it out there. What the hell? Put it out in the universe. Um, but it's so cool to hear you know that other people actually look at the sh at the at the hashtag, and and um, I'm sure people have found her music through the hashtag, and and it's cool that you know maybe people have found your uh, you know your podcast through the through the hashtag, and um, yeah, it's just such a cool uh, such a cool time to to be in the music industry. Totally. And you also have your own project, Mothra Stewart, that's on the label. How involved are you in making your own music now? Because you seem pretty busy with the label and other things that you have going on. But you did manage to put out a EP and now a 7-inch this year. It's harder to do. I don't, I, you know, I don't have the time uh, as, as much as I'd like to. Um, I, I do think that, you know, my job and, 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 and Greenwich Recordings has probably has probably slowed me from putting out um, as much music as I'd like to, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe that's sort of like, uh, you know, it's, it's another filter. It's another, uh, you know, and, and also I'm super inspired by all the artists on the label. So, so it does sort of act as like a filter mechanism of like, well, maybe I shouldn't put out every, you know, every bathtub fart that I make. You know, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I should, I should slow and slow my roll, but um, I do, I record in my house and uh, in my apartment in the, in the village. Um, and, and then I've been using, uh, and I keep saying the word using, I'm not using, but I've been, I've been working with my friends, uh, in, in Austin, uh, you know, Chase is a great, uh, singer and guitar player and he's in Chill Russell, uh, Patrick. So you're a long time collaborator with Chase? Yeah, Chase, uh, I've been collaborating with for, um, yeah, maybe since like 2015 or 16, something like that. So five years or so. Uh, Patrick, the drummer, uh, and I, you know, we grew up together. We, we were playing together. I think we met when we were 15, and we've basically been playing music ever since then. So he just has this, he's a very good drummer. Uh, he's kind of got this John Bonham sort of style. He's got, you know, big kit and very booming sort of sound. But, you know, he sort of picks up on the idiosyncrasies of my playing. You know, I, I maybe have a little gate in some of my strums, and he's able to just sort of, like, stick with it. And, and um, you know, because we've been playing together so long, you sort of, like, mind meld and, and are able to, it's like a, a form of telepathy. Um, so even though we're doing it now remotely, and I guess this is the theme of the of the podcast now is that you know this is what this is what the music industry is now. We're able to do it remotely. We're able to send each other tracks back and forth, and use uh, we use Logic, and and we both have interfaces and microphones and all that kind of stuff. Um, so is that is that challenging at all at first though? Because people have had to adapt to these new circumstances, and even before that, people that want to collaborate with old collaborators that don't live in the same location anymore. They have to do it over the internet now, but people have been adapting. How's that been for for you as an artist? Um, yeah, I think it's probably harder for him because uh, you know I write the song and I'm not a shrinking violet. So if there's something I don't love that he's doing, you know, uh, I'll try to I'll try to couch it with like, a, hey man, maybe try this. Um, but but it is sort of you know I'm uh, it's harder for him because there's not that instant feedback where we're in the room and I can say, hey, instead of hitting the tom here or instead of hitting the snare here. Let's, let's keep this part like really low in toms or whatever. You know, that's really easy communication face to face. But when you send someone a track and say, I trust you, see what you can do with it. And then they send you back their recording that they put all this time and effort and they set up the mics and they set up the drums. And then you go, oh, actually, can you try this other thing? You know, that, that requires more effort yeah. from him. It's um, not just, so hey, do that there. again, you know, like two seconds, yeah. you know. 
It's right. a little or bit even if you're there out. and yeah. in the middle of it, you can just say stop. Yeah. <laughs> what about <this>? yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, so yeah, I've, I've got to be be more aware of my own. You know, I've got to you know sort of be more understanding of some of these things. Take take some time and, and be uh, more tactful because it is. It's, I mean, you know, he's doing me a huge favor when he when he uh, when he's playing on my tracks. And then I've been working with uh, TJ of these people. I don't know if you've heard his music. He just put out a, a new single called uh, Mind Reading. When I first heard him, it reminded me of the Shins. Are you a fan of the Shins? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And but. Um, you know, after now we become friends. He was in a he was in a major um, he was in a major label band on on uh, Reprise, which was under the Warner Music uh, umbrella, and uh, they were called Men, Women, and Children. And so, um, and they, I think they had uh, oh. Is the band called Glassjaw? Is that a big screamo band that was from around here? Back in the yeah, they're from they're from yeah, Long Island. Yeah, so yeah, so yeah, I think yeah, one yeah. of the members of, of Glassjaw was in the band, and so they they got the major oh, little wow. deal. Um, but but yeah, so they they kind of did like this dancey kind of edgy like you know maybe like Panic at the Disco type stuff. Um, but you know that was in their I guess earlier mid two thousands. Um, but now he's got this, he's really influenced by Sid Barrett. Yeah. So he does like all this, like, if you listen to like the early, like Pink Floyd, there's like this type stuff in like the background. Yeah. That's the best I stuff. That if stuff. you ask me, P Piper at the gates yeah. of dawn, yeah. baby. That's the stuff that he's, I mean, <laughs> honestly, his music, you know, now that I've really dug into his catalog, I'm like, this guy is like Sid Barrett. So he does a lot of this cool, it's kind of like this new neo psych stuff mixed with a little bit of that indie. Like it's like Sid Barrett meets the shins. But anyways, he and I've been working together a little bit. Uh, I sent him a song recently and he, he, he added some guitars and he added some vocals and then he's also a, a very talented uh, mixer um, and then so that song actually hasn't come out yet but um, it's it's gonna be the b-side to the marathon which I just put out um, when we do it on a seven inch um, which should be coming hopefully soon uh, and um, and then it was uh, mastered by uh, Danny Kolb who's worked with a ton of artists Wilco back a ton of great artists um, so so those guys have been great to work with the guys in Austin are great to work with and then I've also worked um, recently with Curtis Roush of the bright lights social hour um, and he's also got some solo stuff out uh, and he works closely with with like Walker Lukens who's a very very um, popular artist in Austin and, and Jim Eno, who's the drummer of Spoon. And so they've got these really cool, uh, you know, in Austin, they've got these cool, you know, this cool little network of, of, of bands and his band, The Bright Light Social Hour is really, really good. Um, and so he, he actually played some drums for me and he's, he's mixed for me and mastered stuff for me. So yeah, I, I guess sort of because of, you know, not just COVID-19, but also just the way that uh, the music industry is going, I've been able to grow my own network and grow the people I'm playing with. Um, and as heartbreaking as it is, to have had to leave Chill Russell, um, I think that uh, they've really landed on their feet, and um, and I've been able to uh, to continue to make music with uh, a, a plethora of talented musicians. Very cool. And back to the label a little bit now. It's a really interesting time for the music industry, as we've already alluded to in our conversation so far. Uh, well, what do you think makes this label unique, and what do you think the role of a record label is going to be for artists going forward because it seems like it's a time where labels are going to need to evolve and change it seems like you're kind of already thinking about these things definitely you know i think it's it's this sort of democratization thing we've been talking about we're we are pursuing artists that haven't broken yet and um you know if you were to go into you know a meeting room at one of the major labels uh they are already i mean you know if you think about somebody like a warner music group they've signed do you know who bad baby is no, she's a she's a she was a okay. You, you will in a second. She's sixteen now. She, <laughs> um, she was on Doctor Phil, and she said, "Catch me outside, Doctor Phil." Yeah. Oh, well, wow, she's a yeah, rapper on, on, on this yeah. on this uh, major label. 
Um, and, and so wow. the reason she's a rapper on this major label is not because she's got some God-given talent and she's incredible at, at spinning bars, but because she had millions of followers from her meme-worthy phrase on Dr. Phil. And so, so they're making these very calculating decisions where they're not fishing far off shore. They're just taking the lowest hanging fruit saying, you've got a ton of followers. Let's basically put out your record and appeal to those followers. They'll buy your music, they'll stream your music. And with our marketing apparatus, you know, we're going to make a ton of money. Um, we're not going to do that. So what we do is take artists that we really believe in and who maybe don't have a million followers. Um, some of them don't have a thousand followers and we'll, you know, put out their record. We're not able to take the risks that the major labels take, right? Where they can put a ton of money into, into an artist and, and, and either shelter or sometimes art, major labels will sign an artist that, who's too similar to Ariana Grande. So they'll sign her and then they'll shelf her so that, so that Ariana gets all of those views and all of that sort of it's occupies that space. Um, so obviously we're not doing that disgusting practice, but we're also not able to warehouse a bunch of records. So we're doing very limited runs of records, um, whether it's vinyl or cassette. You know, I think the main thing that record labels can do nowadays is is be a marketing apparatus. Is be a yeah, totally. And that's that's sort of the way it's going to go. Um, you know, uh, once you've got sort of some rights in, in in music and things like that, then you can then you can sort of also become the protector of those rights um, and 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 make sure that people are paying your artists for using their music and things like that. But also, I, I think that the two main the two main ways artists, especially artists like our own, are going to make money is through sync licensing, which is you know using having their music used in video games and, and commercials and movies. Um, and so we'll, we'll seek we seek those uh, opportunities out for artists. Um, and then um, streams. And the way you get streams is by having a good marketing campaign, getting in the hot blogs like Ear Milk or, or, or Consequence, and then that can lead people to your to your Spotify. And then, of course, it's just exponential. So if you, you know, the algorithm, if the algorithm sees people listen to you and they also listen to Beach House a lot, then all of a sudden you'll get placed on a, on a playlist with Beach House. Next thing you know, it just grows and grows and grows and grows. Um, and, and that can happen also through, um, through sync deals too, because people will hear your song on a Netflix special or whatever, and then they'll, they'll look you up. And then, you know, they, even if they just Shazam you, that counts as a play. Then, you, you know, you're, you start getting Shazam by like crazy and you get played on, you know, and then you get added to all the, uh, the playlists. And um, so I think, long story short, I think it's being a marketing apparatus, an advocate, and almost like a, a like a sync manager and um, and distributor. And it's cool because you've worn a lot of hats in the industry. You've been a musician. You run this label. You've been an advocate for artists. Which would you say you've enjoyed the most? I mean, I'm sure all of them have positive aspects to them, and you've enjoyed all of them at different points yeah. in your life. But you seem very passionate about this as well. So I am. I'm. I'm super passionate about this, and uh, you know, it's really exciting. It's a lot of fun. Um, I love the bands that are on our label. Um, you, you alluded to a, a couple of them earlier, and, and uh, you know, so as you can imagine, like working with those people is just like wow. It's it's inspiring. It's inspiring as a human being, and it's inspiring as a musician as well. Um, I would say the most fun is probably being a musician, but it's also it's also pretty heart wrenching. It's also you know, there's a lot of rejection. There's a lot of times you'll record something, and be like, yeah. oh, that fucking sucks. <laughs> so so there's like a you know, there's that's a hard world to live in, and that only makes me admire the artists that just keep plugging away at it more and more. And then you know, there there are certain things you know we all do for our day job that have that are are rewarding you know as far as paying the rent and are rewarding as far as you know for me giving me a knowledge of of how the music industry works. But yeah, I do think right now my passion and my my attention is is all the way on the, on the label and and, and sort of uh, plugging uh, our favorite artists.
All right, so now we're going to play some music from artists on the Green Witch Recordings roster. We're going to play Dreaming by Teen Idol, since that was the first song you discovered by the great Teen Idol. We're also going to play the latest single by Lauren Lakis. It's called We'll Be Fine. And you're releasing Lauren's next album on Green Witch. When is that coming out? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'd have to look at my schedule, but it's within the next, uh, I believe it's in August or early September. Yeah, I think, she, I think we're shooting for an early September release with that one. Cool. And we're also going to be playing Veil by Holsky. Tell me a little bit about this song. Um, so Holsky is an artist from uh, Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, he's really cool. Um, you know, this song is really, it's, it's got this dark, moody vibe. Um, it's kind of sexy. Um, it's got a killer hook. Uh, and uh, I'm just, I've, I've been listening to this song like on repeat. Uh, it's on all my, you know, all my favorite playlists. So uh, I, I think that people should hear it. Awesome. And these people mind reading. Yeah, I talked about these people earlier. Uh, TJ's, you know, a, a great musician. And uh, this one is like a, a psychedelic The Shins meets uh, Sid Barrett. All right, so we're going to hear Teen Idol, Lauren Lakis, Mothra Stewart, Holsky, and these people.
an idea. We're back. We just heard five awesome songs. Dreaming by Teen Idol. Will Be Fine by Lauren Lakis. The Marathon by Mothra Stewart. Veil by Holsky. Mind Reading by These People. All releases on Green Witch Recordings. Check out greenwitchrecordings.com to listen to them, to get physical copies of some of these releases, or pre-order physical copies of these releases, because they'll be released in the future. All right, we're we're going through Mark's record picks now. You picked some. We're going to listen to them. This first one is pretty much brand new. Six months old-ish. 
Circle the Drain by Soccer Mommy off of her brand new album, Color Theory. Tell me a little bit about why you like this record, why you picked it. Um, yeah, so I just think she's just an incredible talent. I think that she is an artist that, you know, if I, it's one of those artists that you wish you discovered. It's one of those artists that you discover and then you're almost afraid to tell your friends because it's like, this is mine. This is mine. Um, I really loved her song, Your Dog. Do you know that song, Your Dog? Great song, uh, yeah. And and just like the emotion and the, the way she's, I mean, the, the lyrics are just incredible. And then she's a great guitar player. Um, super psyched out in this song as well really psyched out really great guitar great hooks and and you know uh my girlfriend complains that 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 soccer mommy is sad um but <laughs> i love it <laughs> i think all these songs i've picked are sad by the way uh beach boys you still believe in me off of pet sounds greatest record of all time i well the funny thing is the the last interview i did i said the velvet underground and nico was the best yeah. record of all time. But oh, wait, I actually said the Velvet Underground was the best band of all time. I don't remember, but I, I, I guess I throw that around a little <laughs> bit, but for, only for really good yeah. shit, like Pet yeah, Sounds. So. Um, yeah, I think Velvet Underground is like one of those bands that they didn't really blow up until much later, um, but everybody that heard their record like started a band. And, and yeah. similar with with Pet Sounds, I mean, I mean, look, if you if you can uh, if you can influence the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's, I think that's that's pretty that's pretty good. Uh, that's, that's pretty high ground. Um, and and they've just this record has, uh, you know, I was, I was listening to Beach Boys when I was a little kid, but it was a lot like the the Barbara Ann and like the yeah days. the poppy yeah. stuff. And then yeah. um, when I found this one, it's like, oh my god, how do you record like that? How do you write a masterpiece like that? Of course, he was slipping into uh, into like mental uh, you know illness yeah. uh, at the time. Um, but uh, what a what an incredible uh, masterpiece! Beautiful record, love you, Brian Wilson. Next up, Mac DeMarco, Chamber of Reflection. <laughs> yeah, I I loved this guy when he lived in New York, and I don't know what happened to him. I guess he moved to L.A. or whatever, but I miss him. Yeah, I, I saw him at Austin City Limits uh, when he was on the way up. Um, and, uh, and yeah, I, I picked that song because Mac DeMarco is my, uh, you know, when I first moved to New York, I moved to Brooklyn, um, you know, for outsiders, it's a little more affordable to live in Brooklyn. Than it is to live in, in Manhattan where I live now. Um, but uh, you know, that to me, he was just my, my Brooklyn sort of anthem. He was like, you know, he had the hipster hat and gap teeth and the cigarettes and just everything about him was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in Brooklyn now. Um, and just an incredible, incredible musician. He was so iconic without even trying. His style, like you said, the gap tooth. He's, that's just the way his teeth <laughs> look. The hats, like the chain smoking, menthol cigarettes. It's funny because he really developed his own persona without even realizing it or being conscious of it. Definitely wasn't conscious of it, but he had this whole thing. Right, he's not like you know, he's not like cool. Kiss or like a hair metal band where they're going out of the yeah, way. Even yeah, the flaming yeah. lips, where it's yeah. like everything over the top. Yeah. He's just he's himself, and it's this kind of crazy fucking thing that you're like, I like that dude. I'd like to I'd like to have a beer with him or a menthol cigarette. <laughs> exactly, both, both preferably several beers, two menthol cigarettes. <laughs> That's my ideal amount. All right, King Crimson, Epitaph off of In the Court of the Crimson King, Masterpiece King Crimson record. Yeah, um, wow. Uh, there are, 
they're almost another level of like orchestral brilliance. You know, it reminds me of when I was in 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 high school. I guess I was probably about fourteen or fifteen, and my my older brother. Uh, older brothers are great for music because they they sort of you get the access to their like their record collection. And so he was really into Pink Floyd and The Doors, and, and I, I heard a lot of the psychedelic Beatles was reintroduced to sort of that stuff as, as a teenager. Um, and then King Crimson was a record that he played, and uh, and I was just that whole record is incredible. Um, you know, they're uh, they're I don't know how how streaming friendly they are now because people don't, I don't know if people have the attention span to listen to an eight minute song. But they are so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so incredibly talented and so influential. I mean, they influence bands like. Like, uh, like, yes, and, and, and Pink Floyd and, and, uh, and, and Tool. Yeah, totally. And then wrapping it up with a fun, much simpler song than a King Crimson song. I Quit Girls by Japan Droids. <laughs> I was wondering before uh, I picked this song, are you are you familiar with this song? Yes, it's a great it is, song. It's, it, it's, it's almost like, the, it's a, I think it... It stays the same thing pretty much throughout the whole song. Yeah. Um, and they've got this really, it's almost like a chainsaw sound on the guitar. It's like everything's blown out through the speakers. And then the drums come in like, you know, I think the drums come in three, three and a half minutes into the song or something like that. Um, and it's just a sad song. And it's just like, it's like, you know, I, I think I probably got into it, uh, you know, after a heartbreak. And it's like, it's like quit girls. Um, so it just really, uh, really interesting and, and sort of out there. It's cool. Japan droids are awesome. Their energy is unparalleled for sure. And the simplicity of their songwriting is really universal, really anthemic songs, especially this one and i also think it's really cool and it kind of fits into our earlier conversation when they kind of broke through it seems like they were on the ropes from what i read they were about to give up and then they kind of found this success sort of overnight almost and they just wrote it pretty pretty high and far great for them and they seem like really cool, down-to-earth people. And I admire that so much. I, I think I mentioned earlier that just the bands that stick with it. And, you know, I look at people like Jeff Tweedy and Wilco. And uh, these guys have gray He had gray hair before I knew who he was, right? So, and then I'm no spring chicken. So it's like, you know, those guys really stuck it out. And they couldn't be... Uh, another one is um, uh, Anton Newcomb of the Brian Jonestown Massacre. I heard I heard him that movie, yeah. Dig. Uh, they, they said... Anton couldn't have been anything else. This is all Anton could do was this or like, you know, drug overdose or suicide. This is who he is. And I think that's just uh, so admirable and so cool. Absolutely. And Japan Droids have a live album coming out, their first one, live at Massey Hall, which I think is in Vancouver, their hometown, which I'm surprised they haven't released a live album yet because that's a big thing for them. Their live show is a must say. Yeah, sort of known as one bunch of energy and a really uh really great show great live show awesome all right we're gonna play these records soccer mommy beach boys mac demarco king crimson japan droids and we'll be back to wrap up
But I fear tomorrow I'll be 
All right, we're back. We heard Soccer Mommy, The Beach Boys, Mac DeMarco, King Crimson, Japan Droids, Mark's Picks, my friend Mark, owner, operator, CEO of Green Witch Recordings, the great Greenwich Village-based record label. It was so great having you. Yeah, man, I think uh, we love what you're doing. And, um, you know, I'm going to continue to uh, to 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 turn uh, my bands onto your onto your podcast and, and hope that you'll feature some of them um, and just just love what you're doing. And uh, I think this is really cool. And uh, looks like a lot of fun, too. Oh, totally love what you're doing. Looking forward to meeting in person someday when this pandemic is over. We can have a beer. But right before we before we go. Tell me what's on deck for the rest of the year for the label. I know we mentioned Lauren Lakis has an album coming out in August or September. Your project, Mothra Stewart, that's coming out soon, right? What's on the release agenda? Yeah, that's on the release agenda. Of course, you know, because of COVID, everything's sort of, you know, we're not finding out that our vinyl manufacturer has a bit of a, a bit of a backlog. Um, but yeah, Chill Russell's got a new record coming out, um, which they've recorded with Frenchie Stewart, who's a, an incredibly uh, uh, talented indie uh, producer. Um, I, I, uh, Heavy Coast, one of our, our UK uh, artists, is is slowly putting out singles to 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 uh, uh, become an EP, um, and that should be coming out. They'll come out piecemeal over the next few months, and, and same same deal with uh, Holsky, who everyone heard here. Um, and then, uh, you know, and we're also in talks to, to signing a couple of, um, of really cool bands right now. So uh, I'll keep mum about that until the, they put pen to paper. But uh, there's some really cool things coming for, for Greenwich. Super exciting. Let's play one more song to end the program. We're going to play the latest from Chill Russell, Sound the Alarm, which appears on the first Greenwich Recordings compilation, Audio Spells Volume 1. And Chill Russell's next full length will be out on August 21st. You can pre-order a copy via the Green Witch Recordings website. Thanks so much, Mark, for taking the time to chat with me. Thanks, Tom. i